You can open your Bibles to John 11 or navigate on your device. John chapter 11. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. We appreciate the worship, Lord, the chance to join together as a chorus of praise that rises before your throne and is received by you as songs from your children. Lord, in the word you said that you would send the Holy Spirit and that one of the things he would do is teach believers. And so, Lord, we pray that as we hit upon scripture this morning, that your spirit would take that, Lord, and reach into our hearts, speak to us between the soul and the spirit where only you can reach. Encourage, bless, strengthen us, Lord, for the days ahead. Draw us closer to your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you said you'd send the spirit to convict non-believers of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. We trust his work, Lord. Again, a work that only he can do, uh, releasing a sinner, Lord, to be able to make a decision for Christ, freeing their will so that they can see Jesus died for them and rose from the dead for them to forgive them their sins. Lord, we want to trust in the grace of God. We want to trust in the power of your word, not in anything we do or say. And so, Lord, in a sense, we free you to do your ministry in this place. Remind each one of us, Lord, that we are your workmanship and that you love us more than anything in the universe. We are why the universe exists, Lord, so that you can have a relationship with us, those that you love. We thank you and praise you. We do it in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, amen. When baseball great Ted Williams died at age 83, things got weird. Despite his wishes to be cremated and his ashes scattered in the Florida Keys, son John and youngest daughter Claudia opted to have his body sent to Scottsdale, Arizona, where he was frozen at the Alcor Cryonics facility. Cryonics, of course, is that process of storing the deceased in stainless steel containers at frigid temperatures, hoping that someday scientists will have the ability to bring them back to life. Ted Williams next made headlines, wait for it, when it was reported that his head had been decapitated by surgeons and it was stored separately from his body at the Alcor facility. A severed head would be no problem for Italian neurosurgeon Dr. Sergio Canavero. He's been called the brain behind the first head transplant. Canavero intends to take a living patient whose body is physically disabled and transplant their head on a fully functioning body. I think he's going to have trouble getting volunteers for the fully functional part, but <laughs> maybe not. Well-known secular futurist Ray Kurzweil predicts a different path to human immortality. He contends that humans will have machine bodies by the year 2100. If you want to stay young until 2100, take a trip to San Francisco and set your GPS for Ambrosia Plasma. They perform transfusions of the blood of healthy teenagers to people 35 and older. A column writer who follows anti-aging research said, people who view death as oblivion are still trying hard to defeat it. All the approaches to living forever have this in common. They view death as an enemy that someone must defeat. They have one other thing in common. They ignore the fact that death has already been decisively defeated. 
Jesus' resurrection was an outright defeat of death. The apostle Peter explained, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That's from Acts 2.24. Then in Revelation 1.18, the Lord himself said, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades. I feel like all of these and and many other anti-aging and immortality plans, I feel like Jesus is right there saying, "Uh, look, I was dead uh, and now I'm alive and I'm going to live forever and so are you. Get on the board with the program. But instead, they have all of these way out things. We chuckle about them, but people are doing this. Cryonics, uh, exploring Frankenstein type stuff, taking blood transfusions. Not cryonics, but Jesus, or cryogenics rather, but Jesus Christ has defeated death. Now, over the last three plus decades, I've had the privilege to officiate many memorials and graveside services. I've seen the faces of death, and I don't mean the deceased. I've seen the faces of death on the living. As I look out upon the crowd, some face death with faith. They may be weeping and grieving, eyes wet and red with tears, But they are believers in Jesus Christ who know that he conquered death. They have no doubt that if their loved one was a believer, they are safe in heaven. As I look out upon the crowd, some face death with fear. They know that death is coming hard for them. They have no basis really for hope. People might claim that they don't fear death. They do. COVID-19 is exposing the fear of death in more ways than just fear of the virus. I read an article this week titled, Scared to Death. It reported that chronically ill persons are avoiding getting the medical care they desperately need because they fear acquiring a lethal COVID infection on top of their illness. Putting off necessary treatment on account of that fear is literally killing them. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Rochelle Walensky went off script at a briefing and made an emotional uh, plea to Americans not to let up on public health measures amid fears of a fourth wave of COVID-19. I'm going to reflect on the recurring feeling I have of impending doom, Walensky said, appearing to hold back tears. That's what you want a head doctor to say to you, right? How, How are the tests, doc? I have a sense of your impending doom. Professionals are starting to call this, and this is true, coronaphobia. I read this in a medical journal. Based on a review of studies, we define coronaphobia as an excessive triggered response of fear of contracting the virus causing COVID-19, leading to accompanied excessive concern over physiological symptoms, significant stress about personal and occupational loss, increased reassurance and safety-seeking behaviors, and the avoidance of public places and situations causing marked impairment in daily life functioning. And I think this describes some of us. It certainly describes people that you know. On a positive note, You can stop worrying about the asteroid Apophis. NASA announced that it would not cause the end of the world for at least the next 100 years. Of course, if you started getting blood transfusions from your teenage children, you might still be around. I want you to picture yourself at your graveside service. There's the casket with your remains. Or if you opt for cremation, there's the urn with your 
cremains, which, by the way, is the proper terminology. Do you know where you will be when your body has been reduced to remains or cremains? Christians have confidence that at the moment of their death, they will be, and I quote, absent from the body and present with the Lord. If you're not in Christ, your soul has a different destination at the moment of death. You're going to be confined to Hades. The Bible describes it as a holding place where non-believers suffer while awaiting their final judgment. I should add that there are no second chances after death, no purgatory or any other opportunities to earn or deserve salvation. The Bible is clear. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. The deceased believer waits in heaven for resurrection. The deceased non-believer waits in Hades for resurrection. I enjoyed making timelines in junior high history class. A simple biblical timeline for the future of the world would include the following significant events in this sequence. Since we're living in the church age now, it is our starting point. The resurrection of the church age believers would come next. The seven-year great tribulation would come next. The second coming of Jesus Christ would follow. Then the 1,000-year kingdom of God on the earth. Then the great white throne judgment of God. And then eternity. That is the future that we are looking at biblically. Believers who have died from all eras of human history are not raised from the dead all at once. They, we, will experience resurrection at specific points along the future timeline. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. We can add the order of the resurrection to our timeline. We always start with Jesus. He was the first one, the first fruits, the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. His resurrection is what guarantees believers that they too will be raised to life. Next, everyone saved between Jesus' resurrection and his coming to remove his church from the earth and take us to heaven will be resurrected. Next, believers who survived the great tribulation and the Old Testament believers will be resurrected at the second coming of Jesus. And next, the believers who enter the 1,000-year kingdom, which we call the millennial kingdom, and those born to them who get saved will be resurrected. And we can add even more detail about resurrection at each point on God's timeline. We live in the church age. It is a unique, distinct time in human history between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. In this current age, began on the day of Pentecost, deceased believers are described as having fallen asleep. Now, their bodies are what sleep, awaiting resurrection. Paul, in that previous passage I read, said that they had fallen asleep, but then it was clear he was talking about them dying. And so don't be tripped up by falling asleep. There's no such thing as soul sleep or unconsciousness. Uh, It's a way of looking at the body since the body's going to rise again. And so they fall asleep. Their bodies sleep awaiting resurrection. The spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord. Looking ahead to his death, the apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. 
To be absent from the body at death is to depart and to be with Christ. There's always that question when someone calls and says, we'd like you to do this funeral service or memorial service. Was your relative, whoever, a Christian? And we, of course, uh, rejoice when they were because we can stand there with the absolute confidence that Jesus Christ's resurrection gives us that to be absent from their body at death is to depart and be with Christ. If a person doesn't know Christ, we don't declare them in Hades. We, We don't assume that they didn't know Christ, but we can't preach with confidence that they're in the presence of the Lord. There's, uh, you know, not that something could happen after death, but, uh, you know, we, we trust the Lord to be merciful. Maybe there was a time in that person's life when they did receive Christ and they're a backslidden individual. Maybe they were comatose for a while. You know, the, one of the most amazing things that ever happened to me, uh, not to me, but I was involved with, uh, there was a gentleman in our church who was comatose for a while and we shared the gospel with him while he was in a coma and he came out of the coma and he said he got saved while he was in his coma because he could hear us even though he couldn't do anything. And so I don't know what the Lord, you know, I don't want to give anybody any false hope, but, you know, we don't, we don't get up and declare people are in Hades. But you can tell there's a different tone to what we talk about. We don't really talk about the deceased at all. We talk to the living about their death. And so if you're not a Christian here this morning, uh, death is coming hard for you, and it's unavoidable, and you need to pay attention. Jesus promised to come back to resurrect deceased believers of the church age. The Apostle Paul said, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ are the believers of the church age who have died. It is another way of saying those who have fallen asleep. When Jesus comes for his church as promised, deceased believers, remains or cremains will be instantaneously transformed into an immortal resurrection body and united with their spirit. The dead, we read in the Bible, will be raised imperishable. God who spoke everything out of nothing will have no problem bringing bodies together in a glorified way. People seem to think this would be hard for God. What if they were blown to smithereens? What if they were burned? What if, what if? Uh, What if they were eaten by sharks? Uh, These are all smoke screens. Uh, God says he numbers the hairs on your head. Not that he knows how many hairs you have, because that would be easier for some than others. But he numbers your hairs throughout your lifetime. I, I, when I retire, I'm going to do a study on how many hairs you had throughout your lifetime. He numbers your hairs. That's how precious you are to him. If he's got your hair number in heaven somewhere in a filing system, how hard, how hard is it going to be for him to bring the molecules of your body back together in a glorified way and unite them with your spirit? So people who, don't, who think the resurrection is fantastic, it is, but it's nothing for God to do. It's not, there's nothing too hard for God. When Jesus returns for his church, there's going to be millions of living believers. I mean, he could come at any moment and we're alive. What will happen to us? We will not all die, but we'll all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. First Corinthians 15, 51. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air 
And thus we shall always be with the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. We call this the rapture of the church. And as I just said, it is imminent. It could happen any moment during the church age, any moment now. It might not happen for another 100 years. It might happen in a nanosecond. But it's an imminent event, and that's how the resurrection of the church goes. At some point, but after Jesus resurrects and raptures his church, the seven-year great tribulation will break like a storm upon the earth. It's a time of unprecedented global judgment. It is horrible. Anybody who thinks we're in the tribulation now hasn't read Revelation recently. Jesus said it would be a time of trouble like there has never been nor ever will be upon the entire planet all at once. And when we get there in our studies of Revelation, they are terrible. Nevertheless, we always point out that God will still be offering salvation to any and all who will believe on Jesus. Those who believe will, for the most part, suffer martyrdom. At the end of that seven years, Jesus returns to the earth. We call this the second coming. Martyrs from the great tribulation will be resurrected at that time. We read in Revelation 20, I saw souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and the word of God, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And so they're resurrected to live and reign with Christ. Old Testament believers are likewise resurrected at the second coming. In Daniel, we read at that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise and there shall be a time of trouble such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. This then is the series for the resurrection of believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus rose from the dead. He's coming for his church, at which time he raises deceased believers and transforms the bodies of living believers. At his second coming, the martyrs from the great tribulation and Old Testament believers are raised. Lastly, there will be some believers who appear before the great white throne. They were born during the millennium and become believers in Jesus. They will receive their resurrection bodies. Every believer from the time of Adam will have been resurrected. What about non-believers? You too will be resurrected. However, it will not be in a series. It will be all at once. It's in Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne with him who sat on it, from whose faith the, face rather the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You will either participate in the first resurrection or you will suffer the second death. The second death is a spiritual death that follows physical death. It is resurrection to eternal conscious punishment in this place that uh, the, John calls the lake of fire. So let's list your choices. You can only check one box. Cryogenics, bear in mind that in the movies the power always fails, or the chamber cracks, and you thaw. Most of 
Khan Noonien Singh's helpers thawed out. They were all like mummified in the Star Trek universe. And so that's the problem with cryogenics. It, it, it depends on the electrical grid or a bunch of generators and some guy who's a minimum wage guy uh, keeping you cold. Then there's the reattached head. Frankenstein comes to mind, obviously. Then there's the machine body. Remember the Borg and the rise of the machines and Blade Runner. Those are all machine bodies that you're dying to have, I'm sure. And then there are teenage blood transfusions. That I might go for, but I warn you, you'll want to listen to Taylor Swift and start watching the CW on television. <laughs> then there's resurrection to suffer the second death in hell. And then there's resurrection in Jesus Christ to enjoy eternity. While you contemplate the only answer, let's take a look at the face of Jesus at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. We'll call it a tombside service, seeing as they were still in mourning. The sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, sent a message to Jesus explaining that their brother was deathly ill. When Jesus heard it, he said that the illness would not end in death, but in glory for God and his son. He stayed where he was for another two days before telling his disciples uh, that he would go back to Judea. And so he delayed purposely. He arrived in Bethany to find that Lazarus had already been dead four days. Martha said that if he had been there, her brother would not have died. Jesus responded that her brother would rise again. Hearing this, Martha said that she knew he would rise again in the resurrection. Jesus told her that he was the resurrection and through him, those who believed would yet live. Martha went to Mary and told her that Jesus had come. Hearing this, Mary immediately went to meet him. Mary met Jesus and told him that Lazarus would not have died if he had been there. By the way, there's a whole other study here uh, about why God allows suffering and suffering in this world. Uh, because Jesus said, I am on purpose going to delay for the glory of God. And it's interesting that both Mary and Martha said in, the, in their own context, what people say to God today, why didn't you do something? Why don't you show yourself powerful? Why does this person have to die? Uh, why this infant? Why this individual? Uh, and, and, and what's really amazing about this, they said it directly to Jesus Christ. Not just, you know, in a general way or, or, or to uh, the invisible God, but they had the boldness to say it right to Jesus' face. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he loved them. You know, you factor in that he loved this family. They were close to him uh, and all. And, and now we know the end of the story. It ends in resurrection. It ends in him being raised from the dead. And so God has a plan. He can overcome weakness. He can overcome sickness. But we live in a time when man has chosen his own destiny in a sense. Uh, sin and uh, terrible things reign. But the Lord has done everything that he knows how to do to solve that. He, in a minute, we're going to read where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's the resurrection because he did what first? He died for the sins of the world. And, and Lazarus becomes a type of, of the resurrection. The believers are going to be raised from the dead. And so, I, you know, suffering is terrible. No one wants to do it or go through it or even hear about it. But in the end, uh, Jacob was talking about this this morning at sunrise out of Hebrews. In the end, 
the Lord brings us through it uh, into our glorified bodies. And so Jesus comes to the grave of Lazarus and he weeps. And then he ordered that somebody should move the stone in front of the tomb. One of my favorite lines in the Bible, Lord, by this time he stinks. Just a a fabulous uh, kind of, uh, you know, realization. They moved the the stone. Jesus prayed, thanking God the Father for the opportunity to give glory to his name. After he had finished praying, Jesus called for Lazarus to come forth. He emerged from the tomb alive and well uh, and uh, was raised to life. The raising of Lazarus from the dead is the backstory for one of Jesus' famous I am statements. John 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus Christ declared his own resurrection and life and made two promises to anyone who would believe in him. In a sense, Jesus is saying, I, I, have the, I am going to be raised from the dead and I have the power to raise the dead I am the one who has eternal life to offer. If you die, you will live. And if you live, you will never die. Believer, if you die before the Lord returns for his church, you'll live. To be absent from the body at death is to depart and be with Christ as you wait to be physically resurrected. Believer, if you live, that is, if you are alive when he comes for his church, you will never die. You will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. This kind of information should be available to people who are walking into cryogenics office. So we're going to, you know, stand outside and say, hey, read this. You want to live forever? I've got good news and bad news. The good news is you are going to live forever. The bad news is it might not be where you want to live unless you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But the ultimate good news is that he died to save you. And all you need to do is believe. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus asked all of us, do you believe? Listen intently to these further words of Jesus about belief. Obviously, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 6, 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. John 6, 29, this is the work of God. This is all that God wants you to do, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, we would expand upon what Jesus said by asking, do you believe Jesus Christ is who the Bible says he is, and are you trusting him as your Savior? Uh, You can believe that Jesus Christ exists or was a real historical person, but not believe on him, not trust him. Do you believe that Jesus is God in human flesh? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for the penalty for your sins, which you deserve the second death? Do you believe that the sacrifice of Jesus is the only adequate payment for your sins? Billy Graham once said the word believe in the Bible means more than simply agreeing in our minds that something might be true. It means trust that we believe so strongly in God that we are willing to commit our lives to him and live the way we know he wants us to live. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. 
If you believe in him, though you may die, you shall live. And whoever lives and believes in Jesus Christ shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray.